Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 106. Oh, my goodness. I am so tired today. I had a gig in Montana last weekend, a wedding gig, and I drove 10 hours and then threw a great party. Okay, I didn't throw the party, but we, you know, the band kind of makes the party. I think it's fair. Um, and then drove 10 hours again and then have been working very hard this week. And I am a sleepy, sleepy girl, but also a happy girl because my single's coming out next week, The Hallowed Wide. And um, by the time you guys are hearing this, actually, you're hearing this on August 17th. And that means The Hallowed Wide is out today. So go on Spotify and look for The Hallowed Wide and stream it a million times and have just like the most fantastical and cinematic day of your entire summer so far. Um, I was thinking that I might do like a little series, like a small little series of podcasts where I just like talk a little bit more about each uh, single as they come out and kind of how I wrote it and where all the little tidbits and treasures are um, in the lyrics and kind of like places where there are little double meanings and like just, you know, little breadcrumbs that I put in there for um, for anybody who likes that kind of stuff. I think that's all I want to say today about my projects because as I've mentioned I'm very very sleepy so I'm going to stick to just the task at hand which is telling you about this episode and um, this is one of my favorite episodes that I've or favorite interviews that I've done in a while I got to interview um, a former voice teacher of mine from the year that I was at BYU um, and I was just there kind of one year and had such a supportive teacher um and it's been fun for us to kind of reconnect outside of you know we've neither of us is uh, at BYU or in the church anymore and um and it's been awesome to kind of like reconnect as you know adult friends and um I just find her so inspiring and I love this conversation and you know hearing some of Anna's insights um it made me feel very inspired as an educator. And, um, and I think anyone who's listening, who especially likes singing is going to get so much out of the advice that Anna has. And, um, certainly it's advice that can apply to any kind of creative endeavor, kind of just, um, remembering what it is that we're trying to do as creatives, which is, you know, kind of always one of my favorite things to talk about, um, on this podcast. So, so that's my like personal plug. And now I'm going to tell you about Anna. Mezzo-soprano Anna Moy received bachelor's and master's degrees in voice from BYU Provo and did doctoral study at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, where she studied with Glenda Maurice. She has received many honors, including regional finalist for the Metropolitan Opera auditions on two occasions. She has also performed with many of the world's finest choral organizations, including Dale Warland Singers, Vocalescence, and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, both as a choral member and soloist. Performances with other organizations include the Minnesota Orchestra, the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, and the Utah Symphony, among many others. She has also been a judge for the Metropolitan Opera District auditions in Utah and North Dakota. Active as a recitalist, she has performed widely through the Midwestern United States, as well as the Rocky Mountain West and Hawaii. She has been on the voice faculties of St. Olaf College, Bemidji State University, Brigham Young University, Provo, and BYU Hawaii. Um, once again, 
Anna is someone who I've known for a long time and was um, and is a really important in, uh, person in my own kind of education and growth um, as a singer in particular and also just, um, you know, as a person kind of learning to believe in myself then and also now. So don't forget to go and stream The Hallowed Wide a whole bunch of times after you are done listening to this beautiful, inspiring conversation between me and Anna Moy. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Um, okay, so I'll just say first, this is kind of exciting. I am interviewing Anna Moy, who is one of my old voice teachers. Um, Anna was my voice teacher when I was at BYU that one year. So between fall of 2006 and spring of 2007 helping me prep for my North Texas audition so it's always fun to interview a a mentor so um, I'm excited so as long as long as it's been and you I I, I mean I'm excited to be able to call you a a former student Um, whenever I see I mean I'm at the age in my career now where I mean the vast majority of it is behind me and to see how um, individuals lead out and really follow their passion and, you know, have the courage to step in and do what they feel great about. Do you find that it's like surprising to see like who kind of ends up doing what? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've only been, I've been out of grad school, um, I think about 10 years now. Yeah. About almost nine, nine years. And, uh, you know, so I haven't been teaching for that long. Um, I've been teaching 11 years and even I, I mean, it's a chunk of time, but, but even, even after, you know, just 11 years, like I'm surprised, I feel surprised all the time at, you know, which students I maybe had like really high hopes for who don't do any creative things at all. Um, and then students who really struggled. And, and I, I think because, like, I feel like when I was a student, I sometimes was a student who struggled with certain things. Um, I try not to ever, like, make assumptions about the students who struggle. Mm-hmm. I more likely will make assumptions about the students who do great mm-hmm. and expect them to keep doing great. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I am just surprised and interested about what they end up doing, like right. what they end up pursuing. So it's right. Cool. Right. So... I I like to talk on this podcast about the creative development and like artistic identity development of my guests. And I feel like that's best done by starting at the beginning. (laughs) So I'd love to hear what you were like as a creative child. What, um, what were kind of the early manifestations that you were creative or were, were, were bound to be creative. Um, and then I'd also like to kind of talk about what the creative environment was like in your childhood. Well, yeah, I, my mother um, encouraged all of us to do something musical. There are four, four kids. I grew up in Northern California. Okay. 
And I started out at six years old, wow. um, taking piano lessons yeah. from the neighbor across the street. Okay. And uh, at the age of I think it was eight or nine, I accompanied in my first school concert, what? I accompanied the chorus. I played Edelweiss. I still, still yeah, remember. Still kind of have it in the muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. And that's how a lot of my um, school experience started out was in playing the piano okay. and accompanying for school choruses. So were you like, did your, did your piano teacher feel like you were a bit of a star? Like was your piano teacher like, wow, she's really progressing quickly? Um, I don't have a lot of memories of that. You know, as, as a child, you're kind of, at least I was pretty naive as to what it all meant. And I didn't know what it meant to be good or talented or not. Of course. I just did. I I don't know what those things mean, (laughs) but I do kind of feel like if you're little and you're just trying something and you happen to be kind of, you know, you're just enjoying it. And then the adults around you are saying you're kind of extra good at this, that might be something that could really, for better or worse, kind of set a bit of a path. Yeah. So, so I'm, I was wondering if, you know, just thinking about the age you started and then the age at which you were playing, you know, publicly, mm-hmm. whether yeah. there's like an implication that you were kind of advancing quickly. That did start to show up, I guess, a little bit later. I can say some of my earliest memories, even from where I was living, was when I first came home from school every day, it was like, set the kitchen timer for 30 minutes. You have to practice before you do anything else. And I was a precarious and rather social as a young child. And my first priority was wanting to go out and play. So (laughs) initially I saw that as an interruption to all of it. But in my later years too, it's like my, my siblings, musical pursuits died out rather early. And are you the youngest? I'm I'm the second to oldest. Okay. Second to oldest. Okay. So they might have studied like my older brother did trumpet, younger brother did violin. My sister also did piano. But it didn't really stick okay. with uh, with any of them, and um, many years later, as an adult, I asked my mother why, why, yeah. <laughs> why did you you know continue to encourage me? You know, my parents were not the type to really profusely compliment, so I didn't sure. always know what they were thinking, um, but. I just, I consistently studied throughout all my childhood and I would change teachers as my abilities warranted. And that's huge. um, Yeah. 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 And then as, as you know, probably when I was 11 or 12, I started doing even more accompanying. I had a friend that knew I played and she was like, your, the teacher is looking for someone um, you want might want to come in and play, and that's where it initially launched off. And well, the voice teacher wait a voice teacher was looking for an, a, like an in lesson accompanist. No, it was oh, okay. for for a chorus. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, and so my you know my musical journey really began at the keyboard. Okay, and it wasn't in, I didn't really take my first voice lessons, my first formal voice lessons until I was in college. Okay, okay. Um. You know, I had, I was lucky enough, you know, through my piano experience and through my high school experience, I had wonderful mentors that really encouraged me and, uh, and noticed 
my singing and wanted to bring me out from behind yeah. the keyboard. So they how did that? How, how did they notice your singing? Um, well, I just auditioned for different things. Okay, okay. From time to time, and um, so you were accompanying, but also like in the choirs and yeah, yeah. In musicals. Maybe I was. Oh, you know, I, in the musicals, I was always behind the keyboard, okay. and they they were careful to say, "Please do what you want to do." You know, we could really use you here, but we want you to do what you want to do. But I always just went behind the keyboard. I think I was a little bit shy yeah. of the stage yeah. at that That's so crazy at that to age. think about that. Like uh, yeah. to think about how much change happens, you know, in like your twenties, you know, like yeah. that's such a big, so I have maybe a couple other questions about these kind of developmental times. And, and, you know, I say this on the podcast all the time, but part of the reason I'm interested in it is because I think our culture is very confused about talent. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to hear professional artists talk about the fact that more often than not, I think our talent isn't, doesn't show up in our childhood. Yes. Um, and it yes. doesn't mean that you're not creative. You know, I, I like when I, I feel like when I hear professional creatives reflect on their childhood, we get these like beautiful tidbits of like what the beginning of that creativity actually looked like versus, you know, what, it, what we might think from the movies, which is like, you know, prodigies exclusively. <laughs> like right. that's what we see. And you know, that's right. pretty much it. Right. Um, so my, one of my other questions is, Aside from music, were you like dabbling in any other creative things like drawing or writing or even just, um, you know, the way that you would consume media or how you were interacting with friends? Like do you, when you think about the origins of your creativity, does any of that kind of beginning building blocks start outside of music? Um, you know what? I... I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so how we consumed media was very different. Yeah. It just was not as available. Yeah. You know, I had an AM radio on my dresser that I would play. It was vinyl LPs or 45s. Yeah. I had my little portable record player. Yeah. And and um, so in the consumption of it, we were all on the same track that yeah. way. And even to go back and listen, I've been listening to this um, serious XM channel that was music from like my high school years. Cool. And I'm like, Oh, that was so awful. Yeah. But I knew it all, yeah. but it was like all this out of tune kind of, uh, I know, you know, it was just like yeah. the quality of it was just not really poor. It was really poor. It was really not good, but it, but that was the, you know, that was the culture that I grew up in. And I think a lot of it was just in what I was experiencing in school and in church and with okay. friends and, um, just think like creative thinking. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, That's my favorite answer. Yeah. I when and even when I started college, there's a fellow that I went to school with his name was, um, Bill Schumann. He's, he's actually, he goes by William. He's a very famous voice teacher actually in New York has been there for many years cool. now, but he was one of my cohorts at BYU. Okay. And I remember him talking about all these artists that he loved and recordings that he'd listened to. And have you heard of this, that, or the other? And I was oblivious yeah, yeah. to all of it and, yeah. and um, hadn't consumed any of it up to that point. So. I had a similar experience when I went to college. Like, oh, I have missed everything. Mm. <laughs> you know? And yeah. even like when I was growing up, music was 
easier to get a hold of, but not that much easier. Like YouTube, YouTube came out my freshman year of college. So when I was like in my childhood, it was still like you have to go to a store and hope that the CD you want is there. And a lot of it was just the radio. Um, so, I mean, there was definitely some more advocacy, but, but still no iTunes, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, very, very different. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even like when I, even when iTunes was new, like not all music was on there. <laughs> like, there was, right. like, I think it's just a given kind of now that if something is released, it's going to be there. And back then, like even a lot of new releases weren't on iTunes and certainly older releases were, were likely not like, I mean, most jazz music wasn't on iTunes even until I was in grad school, you know, right? because right. people were like, what is this? <laughs> like, right. I mean, no one was putting like Billie Holiday's old recordings on iTunes. It just like hadn't happened. Right. So, right. Anyway. Um, okay. I have, I have two, I have two more questions about your pre-college years. Um, one is, what was your, to, to the best of your memory, what was your relationship like with music? So I mean, you're playing, but like in terms of like what it meant to you in kind of an internal way, um, or maybe how you were hearing it, or do you remember anything about what your relationship was like with, with music in general? Absolutely. I think, you know, I look at a lot of, you know, even now I have the advantage of retrospect. Um, with my high school cohorts now we're on Facebook. So we kind of see how each other's lives have turned out, but music was really an anchor for me. I look back to it at that time. Um, it gave me, it was something that I knew that I was good at. It, it, um, helped to quantify my self-worth and my self-identity. It, um, I, you know, all my social circles developed out of, out of music. And it was my way of, um, getting validation, I guess, when you're an insecure, um, young person, but I didn't always look at it as, as validating, but something secure that I could hang on to that helped to define me. Yeah. Like if someone wanted to know me, I didn't feel like they really did unless they heard me sing or, or, were involved in some element of that aspect of my life. I've heard similar answers from so many of my guests. And again, it's like, I'm fascinated by these questions of creative development and identity development because they're, you know, intermingled, but they're not always the same because the way that, you know, our create, well, the way that we are conceiving of our identity and the way that, you know, we interact with others might be very different from like our private relationship with these things. Um, so I, I actually have one follow-up question before I have the, the sure. big second question. Um, when you're thinking about music, maybe not in terms of your playing, but just in terms of like, you know, appreciating the music itself, like mm-hmm. when when you're taking your own kind of abilities out of it, do you remember what your relationship was like with with that? So maybe more just like, um, you know, what you felt like listening to the music that was being played or that you were helping to participate in or, um, you know, like in, in, in less of a relational to other people kind of a way, like Mm -hmm. what, do you remember anything about how you felt about just what kind of hearing music and making music like meant? 
Right. Um, it For me, it helped to provide a vehicle to express what I was feeling. Okay. Um, it's the biggest part of it. So, um, I mean, many of my solo opportunities came out of church. So, you know, it was through, uh, through a, a medium of sacred music. But whenever I was able to find a piece of music that I really resonated with, yeah. it's like that was my way of expressing it without knowing otherwise how to do it. It totally. was just because it, you know, it was so heart connective. Yeah. And all, all the pieces were there, you know, when the music was added to the equation, right. that if it were just the words themselves, it wouldn't have had totally evocative had, kind of had thing. that effect on me. I have, I have felt and, and articulated similar things. And I, I think for me, especially like singing Broadway music in particular, um, let me, you know, start to work through some like bigger, like darker things that I was maybe going through that would have been totally taboo to say or to write about yeah. or to draw about. Um, but you know, when, when I'm singing, you know, I dreamed a dream, mm -hmm. like I might be, I might be even as like a, you know, a 14 year old, like experiencing a bit more of certain types of grief and betrayal mm -hmm. um, than maybe some kids my age, but I got to kind of like express them through this character without anybody maybe knowing like right. that I was maybe For sure. Um, yeah. I was maybe attaching to like certain lines in, in, rather than just the fact of singing this iconic piece, you know, right. that it right. was really kind of, I was really kind of meaning more of it. So yeah, I think like, I think it, it really can be, I don't know, like a, like a, a safe way to like start to express things. Um, and I think arts, I think a lot of art is that way for a lot of young people and maybe even especially young women. Yeah. 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 Well, I think with young women too, I mean, depending on the environments they grew up in too, is there's just a different expectation and uh, uh, of how to conform, right. of how to be expressive, um, like things have to be pretty and beautiful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the, yeah. the deep, dark other side of things, yeah. it's like, we're just, let's just yeah put that away or let's put that off in the corner. And what is so, what's so powerful. And I think particularly about what I've noticed about a lot of more contemporary musical theater over the last 20 years or so more, that more they're, they are yeah. implementing. I, I think like, um, do you have an Hansen? Oh, oh, well, I, I, lo well, yeah, I, I love was, that show. I was trying to guess where you're Honestly, going. Honestly, <laughs> I, I love that show. But I, one of the places I see that starting or really opening was with shows like Rent. Yeah, um, right. Where there really were the darker, the darker sides of things. Yeah, and it becomes powerful because it's the human experience. Yeah, and people resonate with the human experience, and you know, whenever there's that feeling of connection that someone else has been through that too. That was right. someone else's, um, they, they went to that dark place where I thought only, yeah. only I did, but someone else experienced this too. And it just, yeah. it connects us as human beings. Totally. Well, and I think it's a great, I mean, again, I say this all the time, but I think it's a great, um, 
helps you work your empathy muscle. Like, you know, when we're singing these pieces about these, you know, from the perspectives and, and about these fictional characters, they, they aren't real people, except that those emotions ring true. And, you know, grief is grief is grief and, Mm -hmm. uh, betrayal is betrayal is betrayal Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So, you know, understanding that like, if you're singing something from rent and maybe like you're homophobic or something, right? (laughs) um, like understanding that these, like when these emotions are articulated in such a poignant way that rings true, I have to think it gets your brain going like, oh, that person feels the same things as me. Mm -hmm. And even something as, you know, kind of potentially small as, you know, um, having seen or, or sung something from a musical like that might get you thinking differently about a totally different kind of person. For sure. Yeah. And then, okay. So my second question is how did you decide like, when did you choose a major? Like how, when you, I want to kind of know about when you were choosing, when you were leaving high school, what were you kind of thinking about what you might do? To me, there was no question that I was going down a musical path. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I started for a semester as a piano major and then yeah, piano performance it's is a, a different thing. It's a different deal. And it's yeah. so, so isolating for yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was not the perfectionist at the keyboard. I mean, since so much of my experience had been in accompanying, I mean, I was used to following, following and adjusting yeah. and it's more kind of alive and living and breathing. Yeah. And I, and I was, you know, fortunate enough to just to get in, um, as you know, very early on in my freshman experience being really, you know, taken into the choral program particularly. And then it just kind of grew from there, but there was, I never had any idea that I would do anything else. I didn't know how that would show up exactly, but I knew that I was on a musical path. Um, I started out, um, in music ed and I actually did finish a degree in, in music ed. Um, but I added some extra on and I um, got an additional specialty in pedagogy. And here's kind of an interesting, just interesting little story about how that developed and evolved Um, because I was approaching my semester of student teaching and I had auditioned for the opera. I mean, I used to just audition for so many things and I didn't know how it would affect other things I was doing. I just wasn't always aware. Yeah. And I got cast in a, in a, in a primo role. opera yeah. role. I was, wow. they, they were, we were doing Don Giovanni. I got cast as Don Elvira. It was one of at the best BYU? role at BYU. Okay. was one of the best roles I, you know, had been offered up to that point. Yeah. And it was really a good opportunity for me. But my music ed advisor said, no, said, if you're going to student teach, you can't do the opera at the same time. You need to be focused on your student teaching. So you need to make a choice. <gasps> okay. And you picked the opera. I did. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course I you did. did. I did pick the opera. Uh, and the, the opera was performed in the spring. And so I made the decision then that I, you know, was going to take all my other qualifying courses for vocal pedagogy. Then in the fall semester, I student taught and I kind of just finished it up all cool. together. 
So I had, had all of those elements. I would love to hear your thoughts on what it was like starting voice lessons. Cause that's, I mean, I can see that being like, I can see that being a little emotional, like, you know, maybe you're feeling like you're starting late or something. So I'd love to hear about like what your experience was like diving into having your individual voice like worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd also love to talk about like what it was like getting into kind of like opera. Cause I mm-hmm. assume that might've been also new. Yes. Yeah. It was pretty new. Um, I did a little bit of that in high school. I was fortunate enough to have at two choir teachers who are both really fine singers. Okay. And so when it ca- came time to do things like solo and ensemble, they, okay. they would, you know, pick out solos for us and they would coach us and help okay. prepare us and get us ready. So I did have that a little bit, a little bit of feedback. Yeah. Uh, my very first teacher at BYU was Colleen Harris and she was just a little, well, she wasn't little, but she was just this spitfire, yeah. uh, a very positive energy, very, um, cool. I mean, just very outgoing, very nurturing. Um, and I was with her for a year, but then I knew I wanted to be pushed more. Yeah. And I, I was, I was very curious. And, uh, one a summer I was playing for a friend of mine's voice lessons. And I, and she was studying with a teacher whose name was uh, Terry McCombs at the time. And he was just delving into different things with her. And I thought I just got me curious and yeah. I asked him, can, would you mind, you know, can I take a few voice lessons with you? And this is outside of school. And or, I think we were just like in a summer term or something. Okay. So it was like nobody else was around kind of okay. thing that, okay. um, but he was, he was professor? adjunct. Yeah. Okay. He was okay. an adjunct faculty member at the time. And, uh, and he listened to me a bit and he said that, uh, he just, well, I want you to sing for my teacher. Um, oh. whose name was Ray Arbazu. And okay. he, he was what a cool name. rather legendary. He was a, he was a Basque okay. um, man and a very um, and a well-recognized um, dramatic tenor. Okay. And had sung a lot of opera. And, um, it, and from that time forward, I worked with, um, I worked with Ray Arbazu. And that was where I felt myself really, he really pushed me. He saw my potential. Uh, he stretched me and, um, you know, and I started competing from pretty early on. Um, and he just took it right into me. And I did some difficult, difficult repertoire, like for a 19 or 20 year old. And, but what was interesting to me at the time, as I look back on it was I didn't look at it as being hard. They just asked me to do it. And I just said, okay, I'll try this. I always felt like that when I was younger too. I just didn't, I didn't know enough to know that it should be hard or that things that music was asking of me were beyond my ability to do it. I just tried and it worked. Um, did you feel, did it, were you kind of like, you know, at the top of the studio, like fairly quickly, like, I know those things are hard to quantify, but like, just from your, did you feel like I'm kind of doing very well? Um, it took a, it took a little bit of time. I'll tell you, I was with, um, with Ray Arbazu for about, I want to say it was the end of my sophomore year. Uh, we had a guest clinician come in, 
Um, his name was Richard Miller, and he was he's a you know he's he's been gone for a number of years now. And many of the people I'm telling you about have long since passed away. But um, Richard Miller was a well-known pedagogue and nationally known, internationally known pedagogue um, who taught at the Oberlin School. And, uh, he, you know, I had been given the opportunity to sing on this master class. Okay. And I still remember that time. I have very vivid memories of just being as nervous as I had ever been to do yeah. anything in my life, yeah. almost to the point of just being sick to my stomach. And I don't ever remember being that nervous before yeah. or since in anything I've done. But he pulled some really like amazing sounds out of me, like things wow. that I didn't know that I could do. And, the, you know, all the voice faculty was in the room and, you know, prominent member, you know, my, my cohorts, my, yeah, um, all your peers, all my peers. And that was when I really started getting attention. Okay. In terms of what just was that being like? more involved. Um, I, it was, it felt great from the standpoint. It's just like, because you always get to that point where you, you know, you think that you're on a right track at some point yeah. and you just need that validated yeah. or you need that, that feeling of just being recognized yeah. in some way, being validated yeah. that you're on the right track, you're doing the right things. Um, and that was that yeah. big moment of shift for me like as an undergrad. I, don't know that I've ever experienced that. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I'm always like, is this, am I, is this, am I okay? Is this right? Mm. <laughs> to this day, I think, I think I've, I think I, because I don't think I've ever been like, um, a shiny student, the shiny student. I think I'm like, I always think of myself more like a, you know, like a the tortoise, <laughs> like <gasps> just like steady and yeah. determined. And like a little scrappy, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was That's at North Texas, too. which is very competitive. And there's a lot of talent there. Right. So it's and, easy to kind of. Well, and when, you, when you're in, I think a place like BYU, there's, there's a real strong cultural element there, too. Yeah. And I think that fed into it as well. And yeah. Um, I know North Texas is huge. Yeah, it's big. And uh, yeah, and so culturally there has to be a different, yeah. a different. Although um, I have told, I have told this to a couple of people and I, I don't know, I, I'd be curious to know if you like specifically have, were aware that this was like a thing that was happening. But um, when I, cause I auditioned for vocal performance at BYU mm -hmm. um, as out of high school and I got a letter saying that um, I was like the 300th choice out of, you know, 500 auditions. I hated that. You, Can I just tell you? That was I a thing hated, you were aware of that was happening. Yes. Yeah. They did the, the rankings. I hated that. Yeah. So honestly. the letter that I got said, um, you're not in the program and you're, you're, you're never getting into this program. And so you really should pursue other avenues. Well, I have to, t I just, I hated that, honestly. Yeah. It's really stressful. Um, yeah. And I, I had a number of students and I think they were pretty close to about the same time I was yeah. working with you, um, uh, that were close to making it, but didn't quite, I mean, it's like, she was like the little engine that could, and she tried yeah. and she tried and she tried. Yeah. It was so interesting to me because she, you know, 
was close, but just not, yeah. uh, didn't seem to be quite within her grasp. Well, interesting thing was we had a conversation about there's a decision to be made here. Yeah. It's like you need to decide if the BYU experience is more important or if you really pursuing your dream as a vocalist is more important yeah. because you will get in somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, so, so we had that conversation yeah. and she ended up going to um, SUU. Yeah. And she did her undergrad at SUU and came back actually to BYU as a graduate student. Yeah, crazy. Well, and I taught there for four years, which is just, <laughs> right. it's, I mean, it's a crazy that, thing to think about that something. But yeah, and, and she went on to get a, a doctorate uh, wow. from Indiana University. So, wow. you it's know, crazy. it's just, yeah. you just, that was just the, kind of the culture of yeah. that at, at the time. And I, had so little to say about how the protocol was run, but totally. I, it didn't, it didn't at all feel, feel right. <laughs> it didn't at all feel right. Well, it's students that age are too young to be like, to have anybody shut the door on anything. Yeah. But I don't know yeah. if I've said this for, you know, my listeners, but you know, I talk all the time about how pursuing our, you know, passions in these ways sometimes demand a lot of scrappiness and, yes. um, that year that I took lessons from you for, for the listeners, I paid you out of pocket. I mean, I, it wasn't with a class. It wasn't part of my right. tuition. I had a full ride at BYU cause I had good grades. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason I went there for that year before going to North Texas. Cause, um, my parents didn't want to help me. They, they only wanted me to go to BYU. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'll, I'll go to BYU, spend no money, work, save a lot of money, do as many generals as I can and go to, and then go to UNT. Um, but, uh, yeah, I paid Anna, I think you were charging a hundred dollars an hour back then. That's no. what I remember. <laughs> no, it was maybe more like a hundred dollars for every two lessons or something. So, well, I, you know, my, I, I had, I thought about this not long ago. I haven't raised my lesson rates for probably 15 years. <laughs> really? So yeah, at the time I think I was charging $35 a half an hour. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So $70 an hour. And so, I yeah. think I was taking hour lessons, but I just, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an evidence of how much, how important it was to me because I was working at the BYU call center mm -hmm. and using my like little income to, yes. to take voice lessons, um, to prepare for my, my whole goal was to prepare for that North Texas audition. And then I got scholarships there. You yeah. know? So, so it's, it's yeah. just an interesting thing to kind of remember, like, you know, to keep, to, to, to be a little scrappy, maybe to mm -hmm. kind of keep figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me what happened. Like, you know, after this, you finished up, um, your, your degree and the pedagogy specialization. And then what happened? I, uh, taught school for a year. Um, I was at Cedar city high school. Okay. Um, they had a teacher that was on a year sabbatical and I took his place for that year okay. and got my, you know, my feet wet with teaching. And the first year is always for anybody that's taught. Exhausting. I mean, I, it's, terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's, you know, your first time of doing, of doing anything. And, uh, but when the year was over, um, I left Cedar city. They did offer me, interestingly enough, they offered me another job. My, my job was a split job in teaching academics half day and music half day. Okay. And 
the music teacher was coming back, but but I was teaching academics at the junior high school, and the principal there offered me a job. Okay, <laughs> teaching okay. academics, and and one of the the orchestra teacher told that principal she's. You know, he, she said, there's no way she's going to stick around here for that. Yeah, yeah. As I was young, you know, just newly, newly graduated. Um, after that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you uh, just to back up a little yeah, bit. please. Um, I, I graduated mid-year. Okay. Um, and so the next semester, I actually did start my graduate degree. Okay. Uh, for, I did one semester of my graduate work. And then the, the next year is when I okay. taught school. And I, when I came back from that, um, I thought, well, maybe I should keep trying this a little bit. And I applied for a few jobs, but kind of underneath, I was kind of half-heartedly applying, thinking, if I don't get these jobs, then I'll go back to graduate school. Yeah. Which I did. Um, was your grad degree in, in ed again or in no, performance now? No, I, I actually started in education. Okay. Uh, but... My heart just wasn't in it, yeah. and um, I'll always be grateful because when I decided to make that shift from music ed into performance, um, my music ed advisor, who was Gordon Jessup at the time, just said, "Let's just do it." I mean, this is obvious that this is where your heart is, and so wow. um, he just released me. In fact, he released me from some difficult projects mid semester because he said, mm-hmm. "You're not going to pursue this, so there's no point." Yeah. Cool. And, uh, and so I, I got on the, you know, performance yeah. track. Great. And then I, yeah, I would love, like, I don't know that much about like what happened in your career. I would love for you to just, yeah. just tell me, just yeah. tell me what happened for sure. And then I'll ask well, questions. Yeah. Well, I initially, once I finished my master's degree, um, I had an interest in doing professional choral singing Okay. and it, th- there was a group in, the, um, the Twin Cities area, uh, Minneapolis area, that was becoming quite well known at the time was called the Dale Warland Singers. Okay, they came to BYU. They were invited on a performance series, and I um, made contact with them before they came and requested an audition. Cool. And I didn't realize at the time how unusual that was, yeah. but I was later to find out that they did That's that. Awesome. But I um, auditioned for a couple of different professional choirs. One was in Los Angeles, the LA Master Chorale, and the other one was the Dale Warland Singers. And I'm a Western girl. You know, I grew up in California. Like going to LA would have been a very comfortable, easy transition yeah. for me at the time. But there was something really intriguing to me just about, I mean, I knew nothing about the Midwest. You had a sense of adventure. I did. Yeah. I did. I get it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I got accepted into both groups. Uh, but, you know, ultimately I received a, a contract from LA, but I hadn't heard anything from from Minneapolis. And so I called the assistant director, yeah. who I feel like I could better to call her than the conductor and she uh at the other end of the phone I can still remember she's you mean nobody's contacted you yet and I said no and she said don't do anything yeah (laughs) don't do anything yet and within a very short period of time I I got a contract from them were you married at this time no I would love to hear you talk about what that I don't know like what you kind of had to like maybe go through as like an LDS woman especially in that time Mm-hmm. To like move back east 
single. Mm -hmm. I have to imagine that there was pushback on that. Um, Maybe not. No, I mean, I just, you know, my parents were super supportive. And um, I look at it back at it now at how little I was living on. I still can't believe I was living on that little. But um, so I, I was in the Minneapolis area for 12 years. Okay. And I wow. you know, started out with the uh, Dale Warland Singers. And then um, my second year, um, I had a church job, you okay. know, initially when I went there. And then I got a job teaching. Okay. Uh, at a, like private lessons or? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I was at a, like I was a at a Bible college. Okay. Um, and at a, at um, a small Catholic university, I had an adjunct job. Uh, St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. When you say you had a church job, do you mean conducting, accompanying? Yeah, I was conducting a choir at okay. a Methodist church. Okay, cool. So okay, I did cool. that for, it was two so or three So you had these kind of three, three jobs. Years. You were working for the choir, you were conducting at the church and teaching mm-hmm. adjunct at, mm-hmm. at a couple of places. Right. Okay. I was doing like kind of living the gig life. The, the freelance, yeah. The freelance, the freelance life. Yeah, and cool. then um, I... Kept on doing the um, the ensemble singing for a long time. I did do that, but I evolved more and more um, into my teaching. Um, my third year there, I got a job at St. Olaf College um, in Northfield, which has cool. an incredible music program. And uh, in- interesting that that's I after my other experience, that's where I teach now. Oh, cool. As I ended up, I ended up going back there, but I was there for five years. Initially, I started work on a doctorate. Okay. Um, Again, in vocal performance. Yes. Okay. And at the university of Minnesota and I, which I never did finish, which we'll go into the marriage story. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm dying to know just like what it was like, like from your perspective, you know, I like, I don't know very many women like in your age group who have a similar story, like from our kind of LDS background, like, Mm -hmm. did it, did it feel, did did you feel like you were kind of like alone? Like, were you one of the only women? Well, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. In all those ways. But, you know, I, I just, I felt really um, fulfilled in what I was doing. And it's awesome. And I mean, the sense of adventure that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I was always kind of looking for the next thing. Did you feel brave about it? Like, were you, were you feeling like how you were having to overcome fear or was it kind of just like, this feels great. This is what I, I want to like, do. I was like, okay, well, this is the next thing. Because <clears throat> okay. I'll tell you, um, my last year at St. Olaf College, I had interviewed for a full-time, because I, I was not uh, quite full-time, but I wanted a tenure track position, okay. which the one I was in was not. Okay. And um, and when I didn't get that tenure track position, I um, just through the grapevine, it was interesting, I taught at a summer program uh, with a fellow who called me up one day and said, we have an opening at Bemidji State University, which is in northern Minnesota, north central Minnesota. And we just got the funding for it he was looking for ideas of people. Cool. And so I said, well, <laughs> I can I'll, do it. I'll give it a try. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was the last of four applicants for, or four final applicants for that um, position. Cool. And um, 
not long after my interview, they had me wait in another room, and about a half hour later, they came back and they offered me the job. Wow, kind of like on the spot. That's on the crazy. spot. On the spot. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> cool. yeah. So, um, it was a much smaller faculty. Um, it was in a beautiful setting, albeit the winters just in Minnesota are cold, rough. Yeah. Um, but I was there for um, I was there for four years, okay. and. And this is where the the marriage part of it kind of came into okay. it. Um, early on in my in my fourth year of teaching there, I started getting correspondence from a fellow that I had known at BYU. Okay, and he uh, was going through a divorce, and um, I was on his radar. You know, we we had always been friends, but okay. never were. Never dated. Never, yeah. Well, we kind of went out a couple of times, and it was like, oh well, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, but we um, started communicating a lot, and um, before too long, he um, proposed wow. to me, and okay. <laughs> and um, and my unfolding with that story. So it was, I was not too far from finishing my doctorate. Okay, um, but. You know, he had five children from his first marriage. Wow. Wanted to be where his children were, which were rooted, which I, you know, completely understood. And then, but then going back to Utah Valley was kind of, you know, I have a lot of family here, yeah, so it was kind of like coming back sense. home for me. And so, um, initially, I thought, okay, I'm going to finish up some coursework over the <clears> summer. Then I'll move back, etc. Yeah. But I got too impatient. I didn't finish okay. my coursework. And I moved back in the spring. How old were you? Summer. I was 42. Okay. Okay. Cool. I was 42 at that time. Uh, or actually 40. Yeah, I was just barely 42. Did you have any grief about leaving your doctorate? Or did you kind of feel like you're just looking forward? I was just looking forward, really, because, cool. you know, we had our, we had this whole thing worked out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or I would continue to teach. Um, at BYU? At BYU. Okay. Um, I had interviewed for um, a different position than from the one I actually ended up getting. Okay. But still, it you know, I was still teaching pretty much, pretty much full time. Okay. And uh, and he had full time job with benefits. My job didn't come with benefits, yeah. but we th- you know we we had just worked. It was had, kind of your you had, we had worked it out. all of that out okay. and. Um, I thought, well, I'll just, in the back of my mind, it was just like, well, I'll find a way to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And I just had never really completely given up on the idea, but it was just like, this is what You're is here present. right in front, yeah. of, in front of me right now. Yeah. And um, so I was married for six years. Okay. And, um, and it was right, it was the time that I was working with you, I think, when I went through my divorce. Yes, yeah, I remember that. And I didn't know anything about it, but I, I do remember you were like going through a divorce right then. Yeah. 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 Well, he ended up coming out. Okay. And yeah. so, um, it's such a common story. It's yeah. It's amazing how yeah common it is and yeah. how some of my dearest women friends now are, have that shared experience in common. Yeah. Wow. Um, because I mean, particularly at that particular time, that was just what you did. Yeah. That was what was in the culture and you 
pushed forward and yeah. Yeah. And you did that. So six years, that's like, so if I can, can I ask like, how did it feel like making all these kind of big changes and then, and then, you know, changing again, like such a short time well, later. I'll tell you, it was, yeah, it's, it's really hard to find the words because it's like your life just cracks open and it's the, the what do I do now? Yeah. And um, for me, I was that particular year, like he literally walked out of the marriage right before the school year started. Oh, no. And I had, uh, they had asked me later on in the summer to fill a, a one-year replacement position for a professor that had decided to retire early. Yeah. So was I that, was... that year, 2006? Was, yes. Yeah. It was, it was fall, fall of 2006. Yeah, so it, when I started it happened the end yeah. of that Jeez. summer. And so I was a bit of a wreck and yeah, wow. um, trying to... That's crazy. Um, prepare courses that I hadn't taught before and not really yeah. being able to wrap my head around it. And uh, fortunately, um, my Arden Hopkin, who is the head of the voice area, I shared my situation with him and he was very supportive. He was kept very much between us. Uh, so it was not common knowledge really to many people at all. Um, but he just, he kind of helped me push ahead, yeah. you know, through that time. Well, I would love to just say that as a, as a student, as a student that was your student that year and only that year, and I think you probably knew that it was only going to be that year. It can be, it could have been easy for you to not invest in me, but I oh. <laughs> really felt like you did invest in me and were very attentive and, um, <clears throat> thoughtful with how you were teaching me. And I think that probably really just speaks to what kind of a teacher you are that in, you know, maybe one of the worst years of your life, most complicated years of your life, you were, um, you know, that careful with your students. Oh, so, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's interesting <clears throat> to hear that in, in retrospect, um, when you're just trying to keep it together. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I truly, I mean, that was my solace in a lot of ways was yeah. being able to invest in and, um, nurture, um, nurture my students like the, the year after, and the, because you had left, I, yeah, I'm not I sure that you knew this. Yeah. Um, I continued to teach at BYU one year after that, I went back to, you know, being part-time and then, um, uh, I had an opportunity to, go to BYU Hawaii. Yeah. I did know that you were there. I didn't so, know how quickly you had gone there. But. Yeah. So 2008, fall okay. of 2008, I started, um, at BYU Hawaii and, um, <clears throat> many pros and cons yeah. into that experience. And, um, just suffice it to say that, um, I ended up leaving because I felt like I had to. Okay. I won't get into the... Sure. It's, <laughs> academia is very complicated. Yeah. And I and yeah. I mean, I think church-owned academia is extra complicated. Extra, <laughs> extra complicated, you, yeah. as, as you, you know. I do. <laughs> I do know. <laughs> you're yeah. yeah, you're familiar with that. There's, the, yeah. there's that line, that, that really fine line between being ecclesiastical and being, yeah. and being professional. 
an academic. And those lines were so incredibly blurred where I was. Um, Anyway, it was... You just mean like your kind of like academic integrity was... Uh, like it was hard to be the kind of teacher you wanted to be? It, well, there was just a lot of interpersonal drama. Okay. And um, people not willing to acknowledge bad things that were happening. Sure. And um, and there Gross. you know, was a bit of homophobia. Yeah. And I spoke out against the homophobia yeah. and um, almost... I'll say almost lost my job. I was I was on my way out That's before the, before that yeah. became a real issue anyway. That's the same thing that happened to me. It like uh, I started I taught at BYU for 4 years and was a, an advocate for I had that first year that I was directing jazz voices 7 out of the 12 of my singers were gay. Not surprising. <laughs> Not yeah. surprising. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I, I, well, I have a hard time remembering exactly who the personnel, but when I look back at like, it like, it might've been like between the first semester and the, like my third, my, between my first and third semesters. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been seven out of 12 exactly at one point, but a very high yes. percentage. And yes. if, and if I were to look at over the course of the four years, how many of my students uh, were gay. It, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I yeah. was, um, like pretty supportive openly mm-hmm. f- uh, for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, st- I started getting like, I would call it harassment from, mm-hmm. um, my employers, mm-hmm. um, yeah. kind of to an extreme degree. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, my bishop threatened to pull my ecclesiastical endorsement um for that yeah yeah it's probably like the yeah. same thing that happened yes to you. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean very similar and and like i say by that time i had already found another job okay it was just i needed to teach you the summer yeah and finish out my contract and so yeah it would have done them very little good to yeah get rid of me at that time because they still needed somebody to do what i was doing yeah, yeah. So, but the, yeah, uh, but there were there were there were many things that's besides really that too. hard. I don't know if I mean, I'm, you know, going through that kind of experience like younger and without having had, I don't know, other success really. Like, is that was my first like academic job, and it it still really affects my confidence. <laughs> like, it can. Yeah, and it's it's academia is it is a really twisted world and it's i i ended up um going back as i mentioned before to saint olaf college i've been there now since returned there uh, the fall of 2014 and actually wanted to go back there um because i just remember it as being such a supportive environment yeah and uh, supportive for from a collegial perspective and supportive of the students. I mean, it's yeah. very liberal. Yeah. So um, I felt much more comfortable with because I have you know openly worked with with trans students as they've gone through their transition yeah. as vocalists and um, gay students, bisexual students, yeah. lesbians. I mean, just yeah. kind of covered the gamut. Yeah. And it was 
never a deterrent or never an issue for these students. They just were who they were and were free to be able to express themselves as who they were. Yeah, yeah. And a very few of them ever took it to an extreme measure. I mean, they didn't have an axe to grind. They just wanted to sing. Yeah. So um, it was not a political statement for many of them. It's yeah. just, I just want to sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it should be simple like that. So, yeah. I would yeah, love yeah. to hear you talk about, so I, I know you do like energy work and I want to yes. talk about that stuff too. But first, I'd love to talk about, um, I'd love to hear you re- re- just reflect on what you love about your craft and you can, you can talk about singing and teaching pedagogy, um, you know, what, what feels creative about it what are the kind of special things that you wish people understood about just what you know and what you do, mm. just anything you want to talk about or reflect on of um, either singing or teaching singing just that you love about your job? Well, thank you for the question. First of all, it's um, this is a retrospective for me because I'm, uh, I haven't formally announced this anywhere, but I'm anticipating retiring next year. Okay. And so uh, I just finished my 37th year of teaching. Wow. And uh, it's been an incredible ride. And and my personal, what I've found too is, and I think we all find this as teachers, is that your personal evolution really coincides so much with what you do on a, you know, on a, the from the perspective of singing. Yeah. Because it's so heart related. It's it's just that release of, you know, as, as I step, have been stepping into this era of my life, it's less about having to prove myself and yeah. more about just... What are the stories I want to tell? What are the stories I want to yeah. tell? Being truthful. Yeah. Um, and as I work with my students, um, my sincerest desire with my students is to help them release what's in them. Yeah. to help them open that part of themselves up through their, through their instrument. Um, and honestly, I don't care what it sounds like even yeah. initially to me that yeah. like the, the truth telling aspect of it to me is actually the most important because I've had many students come through my studio who won't do a thing yeah. when they go out into the world. I've also had you know, lots of students who are, you know, making their marks as performers, as teachers, as, you know, and who are really making a difference um, in the music world, which is, um, you know, just is amazing and and huge to see. So um, from the, you know, from the standpoint of the, you know, the physical aspects of singing and the emotional aspects of singing, um, it's that vulnerable exposure of oneself. Yeah. That's, I mean, our voices are the most personal things, yeah. most personal expressive tools that we have. I always say they're, they're the means whereby we communicate our, our, ourselves, you know, and, and in, in, in so much more than words, you know, in all of those paralinguistic, you know, mannerisms. Yes. Well, and, um, you know, I'm sure you've probably heard the saying, that it's people will remember how you made them feel long yeah. after they remember how you sounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that... I couldn't agree more. And that, I mean, that to me is the fundamental, because I mean, I'm just, just sitting here just I, kind of... I know, I feel it get, too. Getting, yeah. getting chills because yeah. it's, I mean, that's, 
that's how we make our mark in the world. It's, yeah. it's, you know, improving, improving lives through, you know, just through a really beautiful medium yeah. and en enlarging the capacity for connection because music ultimately, it's a fundamental thing that connects us all. Yeah. And, um, and when we resonate, like music is vibration, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's embodied. It's, Im it's embodied and it's absorbed. Yeah. And, um, it's something that the body doesn't forget. Yeah, it yeah. just the body just stores those memories and even those experiences that you know that the experiences that I had as a singer. You know, just even we've talked more about my teaching um, yeah. and not as much about my singing. But um, in my later career, I just have focused more. Um, you know, I still have sung, but I've I've focused more on on my teaching. That's just, yeah. that's where my path. Let, and I just felt much more excited about that yeah, aspect. I get it. I love it. teaching too. Yeah. Uh, you know, from yeah. from that from that side of it. But um, you know, every person has something to give us along the way. Yeah. And as I've worked with students over the years, um, a lot of times I'll get really interesting stories from them about the backgrounds they've come from or yeah. the things that other people have told them. And some of them sound kind of farcical, you know, yeah. just as a teacher, just kind of hearing their interpretation of the story. Sure. And uh, I have come to the point, and actually did long ago, where it's like, I don't, I'm hearing their aspect of the story, but I don't know what the teacher's story is. I don't right. know the context of how, because we want to assume no teacher wants to do damage. Right. No teacher wants yeah. to, you know, provide a negative experience for the students. So you have to believe, or at least I do, that they're doing the best they can yeah. in the circumstance where they are with what they know. Yeah. And maybe they don't have the developed knowledge or vocabulary or whatever it is to communicate what they're what they would really like to be able to do. Yeah. So most people believe on what in what beautiful sound is yeah. and what it takes to make a healthy, vibrant right. sound. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's been, you know, honing my vocabulary and trying to find the language to communicate uh, what I mean. Right. And I'm also, I also rely heavily on my intuition, uh, from the perspective, especially of when I work with a student, I, you know, kind of physically in my body take on their totally. experience. You probably do the same thing. It's just 100%. like, you can imagine what it feels like. And, and that's how I solve. That's how I problem solve. Yes. I was just talking about this with Andrew, like two days ago, like Sometimes, because I, you know, sometimes when I finish my teaching day and we're cooking dinner together, I'll say, you know, I was a really good teacher today. <laughs> and, and what I mean when I say that is like, I did a good job of taking on the student's energy. And like, that that's what it feels to me to be a good mm -hmm. teacher, to kind of meet them where they are and understand what they're going through so I can help them problem solve. Mm -hmm. And when I feel like I'm not a good teacher, it's on the days where like, I just, I, I just try as I might, I'm not getting there. Um, well, and it, it has a lot to do with how open the student's energy is of course, as well, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Because there are times when they're going to be resistant to you yeah, no matter what. And I think I could probably 
count on maybe one or two hands that I, if I, I can even remember students that I just haven't been able to crack yeah. that barrier. There's just been something there that's just, there's not been that connection yeah. made. And when you know that's happening, it's like, okay, I'm happy to encourage you to do what you feel like you need to do to find yeah. what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority, you know, I'd say 99%, I don't, I don't, I haven't kept track yeah. of how many students or how many lessons yeah. I've, many thousands of lessons I've taught over the years, but, um, you can feel when that resonation has happened. It's the best feeling. And, and what is, what always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit is when I'll go through the process with them and I'll say, and are you feeling, and yeah. then I'll name the certain thing yeah. and you, and this is where you feel like it's going and this is where the struggle is or what, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they look at me and they're like, how do you know that? Yeah. And well, I'm a singer too. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a person too. So yeah. right, right. But you know, getting into the like the intricacies of the vocabulary, and uh, you know, just finding a way to just effectively communicate yeah. that with um, each each student yeah. in their in their own way. It's such a beautiful is, struggle. Yeah, I love it. I mean, yeah. I I also talk with Anderson. So you know. One thing that's maybe a bit different, most of my teaching experience has been in, in my private studio, which means that my students are generally less serious mm-hmm. than, than college students would be. Um, they may or may not take lessons for two months mm-hmm. and then never again, you know? Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. I don't quite have, uh, two months is not enough time. Right. Especially if they're coming every other week mm-hmm. um, and are not already accomplished musicians in at least some way mm-hmm. for me to kind of figure out what's going on sometimes. But, you know, so there's that and there's there's complications to be had with the, the temporary nature of it and the sometimes very parents and kids are not on the same page, you know, things like that. But <clears throat> one of my favorite things is when I look at my roster for the day and one of my students is a 12-year-old girl and one of my students is a 55-year-old man and one of my students is, you know, a 22-year-old man. Um, the breadth of that creative experience from my perspective is so enriching and occasionally very exhausting. Yes. You know, oh, yeah. no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, to yeah. go from the kind of energy that I need to teach a man who's the same age as my dad, um, to teaching, you know, like a very shiny little girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes oh, abs- that's a, oh, absolutely. That's a, yeah. That can be, oh, definitely. that can be a lot, but it's, yeah. but on, when, if I'm feeling fairly whole as a person and I'm hydrated and I'm not too tired, mm-hmm. it's a very exciting premise for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember anything about what I was like as a student? Uh, I just, it was a long time ago. It was, but I do, I do, you know, I have to tell you that one of the, one of the things from a personal level that, um, I remember you saying, to, I mean, there, there are, there, there's more than this, there but are I, things. I guess, but, um, when you found out that I was going through a divorce at that time, how empathetic and supportive mm-hmm. you were and, 
Um, I just remember you saying it as us blondes, we stick together. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> oh. I don't know why I remember that, but I, but, um, but I do remember feeling that oh, encouragement from you so at, a, sweet. at a um, very difficult time. But one, one of the biggest things that strikes me um, about you as I look back to that time I was how you, I mean, you were really searching for something. Yeah, I really was. And um, wanting to find your place. And I knew that you had this other um, ambition that you, that you wanted to fulfill and how important that was to you. But I mean, also that you worked really hard and, you know, it was something that you wanted and you weren't going to let anybody else tell you that you couldn't have that. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, I mean, but I know that it was a time of, of struggle and perseverance for yeah. you when you, when you went through that. But that's, I, I remember most of all that even despite the pushback that you felt that it was just like, I have this goal, this, Gotta is, do it. <laughs> this is what I want to do. This is, this, this is where, you know, this is where my heart is. This is what I've always wanted. And I'm going to go do this. Yeah. It feels like so much care to me that you remember any of that. Cause it, it really <laughs> feels like it could have just been a blip, but yeah, yeah, certainly that's how I felt. So that's, you know, I, I sometimes struggle a lot with retrospect. Um, because I mean, I think at that point in my life and in most of my 20s, probably I was confused about so many things. I was really confused about my parents and what it meant, like what, what it, the the way that they treat me, treated me, what it meant. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was very confused about which kind of problems I was going to be able to solve. You know, I, I was confused about a lot of things, but I, I do remember feeling pretty focused on some things that I felt confident about yes. and feeling like the yes. rest of it was very wishy-washy. You know, so. I, and I think, you know, for anybody who has that creative bent and, you know, when all these other things are kind of chaotic in your life and not seemingly settled or clear, um, I think when you have that creative bent, you have that thing that's meaningful to you yeah. that you really want to focus your energy on. And when you have that one thing and music, music was that for me as well. When you have that, that thing that, you know, is so intrinsically a part of you and so intrinsically makes you who you are. And, you know, it, it it could have been that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, but, but, um, this aspect of, you know, you sharing the, the, with your, with your parents, it's like, with your voice, you had something that you wanted to say. Yes, you had something totally. that you wanted to communicate and were really driven to do that at, you know, regardless of who was having it or not. Yeah. Um, and totally. Th- and that you knew. It's like a, it was just like a stubborn something. That yeah. was your North Star, yeah, right? Yeah. That was kind of your North Star. That was the thing that was a defining point for you in your own identity yeah. at that point in your life. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and felt like an anchor and felt like, I don't know, that makes sense. So like, yeah, <laughs> we'll focus there. Yeah. Yeah. It's something yeah. I've been reflecting on a lot lately. Um, you know, just as I've been kind of trying to pick up the pieces, I, I went no contact with my dad like a little over a year ago and, you know, just kind of officially and finally realizing like these are not 
things to be improved. <laughs> like these are, these are not things that can be improved. Yeah. Um, and kind of just thinking of like a, a beginning of like, well, I'm going to, you know, make a conscious choice from here on out in my life to, uh, surround myself with people who like deserve to be in my life. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and that feels like pretty, um, radical to me because <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in my life with giving a lot of space to people who I get it. shouldn't have been there probably. I get it. Yep. Um, and it feels new and I feel very like trying to figure it out. And it's been so weird as I've been thinking about my relationship with art and my relationship with music in particular. Um, it is that kind of North star still. And it's, it's the one thing like creativity, I would say is the thing that I can most reliably like manufacture joy and manufacture mm-hmm. energy from like mm-hmm. I, it's a never ending. Well, like it, yes, I yes. It never, it never disappoints me. It never stops giving. There's always more. I can always go there, but it's so fraught the way that like that relationship between me and the music is so pure. It's so mm-hmm. positive, mm-hmm. but like, the delivering of that music to others is so complicated. Yes. It feels like this very perverse cycle where like my one true love is like locked up in, um, yeah, all of this kind of these like triggering old scripts. Well, it's in your DNA, you know, and it's, and it's, I admire, I mean, I've, I've had not, from what I know of your personal background, it's not yeah. been as as dramatic as yours was, but I've had yeah. some really difficult yeah. family relationships that where I've I've had to place the same boundary. restriction yeah. and and boundary, and that there's a price to be paid on either side of that. Totally, and um, and it's always going to be a part of you regardless if it's current in its energy, it's always going to be yeah. a part of you in some way. And you have to make that decision. You know, I, my, I had a therapist that told me, just said, that's, you, you can't just pretend it's not there. Totally. It's just like, it's, it's always in your, it's always orbit in, kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. always in your yeah, that's good a good word for it. It's well, always you were doing this and yeah. it just looked like that to me. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. been one thing and you know, I, I say this all the time, but I feel so young. Like I feel like I'm thirty-three and I feel like I'm at the beginning of I'm beginning of I'm at the beginning of way more than I'm at the end of. Yes. Um and and one lesson that I think I've learned and I'm open to change. To changing my mind. But, um, one lesson that I think I've learned is that, yeah, compartmentalizing these things doesn't work. No. I mean, I think I tried really hard to do that no, in yeah. the first 30 years of my life. Well, that's how you survive though. Right. To survive, you have to do that. Right. And so, yeah, the thing that I'm kind of trying to do now is have this kind of radical acceptance and just kind of curiosity. Like, I know that I love making things. I know, I know that when I take these things that I've loved making mm-hmm. and share them, it's a minefield for me. Uh, but I, at this point, I kind of feel like, I don't know. It's just like, yeah. I've got to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's yeah. no stopping making things. That's not yes. an option. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's no stopping sharing things like, right. and it feels right. to me like if that kind of open hearted, totally vulnerable, um, uh, 
you know, like it's, it's, it's exposed and it's, it's sharing and it's really optimistic. I think yeah. every time you share something you've made, it's very optimistic and there's a lot of hope built in. Mm-hmm. Um, if that, all of those beautiful things mean that there's like a higher risk for hurt, like so be it. That's kind of how I feel. And it, I mean, it always <laughs> is. It's like, um, there's a phrase that I love in, in this, it's just called broken open. Yeah. And when you look at the, like some of the greatest composers of all time, like, you know, Brahms and Mahler and others, there were they were deeply disturbed emotional people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, they, and this is not—I mean, not what I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that this I is am you by any Sometimes means. deeply disturbed. So, so but it's but you you, you listen to their music yeah. and you listen to, like the the angst and the yeah. longing and the—I mean—the things that comprise their music. And this is you know, it's it's a reflection of our lived experience. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it's, you know, so long, so long as we're here, yeah, that's what it's going to be. And, and, and from someone who is, I won't say I'm at the end because I'm, I'm hoping to think that, yeah. I, that, that I've got it. I feel more like to go. you're in a middle, but, yeah. but, um, but for someone who's traveled a bit further down that road, um, it just gets richer. Yeah. It gets deeper. Uh, yeah, good it gets fuller. Um, and it's, you know, my one thing that I will say of these last kind of these last few years for me, cause I'm in, you know, I'm in my early sixties now. Um, it's a real transitional time in a person's life as you're entering that, that, um, yeah. that aspect of life thinking, what do I really want this, what who, who, do, who do I want to be? be? Yeah. Who do I want to be at this? You know, what have I been putting off? And one of the big, one of the biggest things that I found in my own personal experience is that I just, I don't want to hide anymore. Yeah. I want to say what I want to say. I want to be who I want to be and not apologize for it. So cool and inspiring. But I, I you know, but I want to be compassionate and, and empathetic, yeah. but I also, um, like unabashed, unabashed. Yeah. Right. It's just like, I'm, I'm tired of living in a, in an apologetic mode, Totally tired of living, um, uh, in a way that causes me to, you know, re- regret a decision later Yeah. when I, when I knew it's like, I had this feeling I should do something else, yeah. but I just didn't have the courage. Yeah, It's like an unnecessary pain. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But yes. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But just having the the fortitude, I'm just I don't even know that I guess it I guess more courage is is required, but it's because I've just gotten to the point where I'm tired of the other stuff. I was stuff. gonna say it's like it's courage, but it's also just like I have no more fucks to give. Yeah. Know, or something. <laughs> it's just like it's just right. like I yeah. did that, I tried that, I played those games and yeah, I'm not I've doing it that. anymore. I've done that. That's that's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I love it. I'm on. I'm so inspired. I, I forget who I was saying this to. I was I was just talking about this to someone within the last week, but I'm so inspired by women who are about twice my age. This I feel like maybe it's always been happening and I'm just noticing it for the first time, but 
I feel like something very interesting is happening with like women between, you know, the ages of 60 and 80. Like Mm -hmm. I, I just feel Mm -hmm. like there is, there is this kind of like, we have no more fucks to give (laughs) this and a cross section of like the age and the time we are in the world. And I have got my eye on women in that age group. Just, I don't know. I feel very inspired by, by, um, yeah, by women who are um, like about twice my age. Um, (laughs) did you want to talk about the energy work? I mean, I'm assuming this is something that's, um, you're pouring a lot of your creativity into kind of this new medium. Yes. yes. Um, I've been working with energy work. Um, I was actually introduced to it by one of my students. Cool. Um, probably how long it's been a little over 20 years ago. Uh, could have been long. I, I, I wow. think it was right about the time when I, because yeah, it was almost 25 years ago when we worked together. No, no, wait, no 15. Wait, 15. Yeah. 15. Yeah. How old am I anyway? <laughs> uh, I love it. Just still <laughs> add a whole just, decade. Just add a decade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, just the, the idea of how, um, how that function and how that was working. And I had a couple of other friends who, when I was going through my divorce, were learning uh, the medium that I practice in, um, which is, um, it's the name of it has been changed and I don't even remember what the name of it is now, but when I was doing it, it was called Calico Healing. But the, the, the sense of it is that you use muscle to, there's a, there's a, a protocol, but you use muscle testing to determine where energetic blocks are. Okay. And then you use a process called integration through breath to release, cool. um, to release the blocks. And I love the intuitive nature of it. I do use the protocol sheet, but I'm really fluid with it because cool. it's like whatever shows up, I just follow. Yeah. Because it can easily. As you do as a voice teacher. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the same Absolutely. process. Yeah. And um, one of the things I do, uh, there are a number of things that I do. I'm kind of known as the woo-woo teacher. I love it. Um, I'm yeah. like some, some of the students because I think the words we use matter. Yeah. Um, and when we're, when we're trying to communicate something, um, the words we use matter. And so um, there's this little thing that we go by that in early studio classes in the semester we'll talk about. And that's because I will ask the student how how something feels and particularly if they're frustrated, how do you feel? And they give, they'll give me the descriptors, whatever those descriptors are. Okay. And then, um, I'll say, okay, so, but what do you want? Yeah. What do you, what do you want instead? What do you want? And if they say, I want to not feel this, or I want to not feel that I want to not have my tongue be tense. I yeah. want, I want to not have my breathing get stuck. I want my, th- I want, I don't want my throat to be. So if it's like goes in the negative, yeah. goes in those negatives, we, we talk about it a little, little bit and say, that's not okay. We understand that now. Okay. We've acknowledged those things. So, but what we want to recognize is that the solution is not in the same space as the problem is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So have them restate it. So, because oftentimes, and I, it's, it still startles me because oftentimes there's so much focus placed on the problem that we don't even, we don't even think about what what is this beautiful feeling going to be. 
Yeah. yeah. What, what is really possible? Totally. And do they dare even state? Yeah. I want to feel free and I exuberant really, and buoyant. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. you know, and helping them to just encouraging them to use the words to describe where they want to go. And yeah. what, what's so interesting to me at times, though, is that sometimes they don't feel like they can say it. I know. I felt this is, I'm getting chills now because, like, I don't remember talking about this kind of stuff with you, but I do this in my teaching as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, and I'm frequently shocked by, yeah, the, the power of just like putting a name on a thing, yes. but I, please continue. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, absolutely. Because, and somehow there's this, I mean, I mean, particularly with singing because it's so personal Yeah, and there's just, we live in um, I think particularly in Utah County, I just have to say my experience here, yeah. it's a shame-based environment. Yeah. And so to say that they're entitled to something mm-hmm. or, but I'm not saying this is exclusive to Utah County because yeah. it is not. It's happening in but it's, Texas it's, it, and it's happening. It in, happens everywhere, yeah. but there just seems to be an interesting concentration of it, yeah. of it here. But um, to be able to say that I know I can sing beautifully or I, I want to have yeah. this particular, you know, I want to feel exuberance. I want to feel joy. Yeah. I want to feel, yeah. um, and what's the, what's the feeling that you'd like to have in your body? What would you like your throat to yeah. feel like? And totally. we, you know, just it's pe- awesome. pe- pedagogically and I, you know, and I just kind of feed them words here and there yeah. to just kind of steer them. I never try to define it for them, yeah. but I do try to just help pull yeah. from them what I can tell they're trying to say, yeah. but don't give themselves I permission to say. I taught a lesson, a, a, a new student yesterday, a brand, she just could only afford one lesson. So she just came for one lesson. Um, and uh, I was telling her like, you're, you're entitled to, to sing the way you want to sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. you own it already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's in right. your body already. <laughs> like mm-hmm. these beautiful sounds that you imagine yourself making, like they're already yours. And I, I really believe those things are also so powerful or even just like you said, like the language that we say, I mean, I, I kind of, I won't like really let my students say things like my tongue is, you know, mm-hmm. but to frame it, like, like not like it's a thing that's happening to you, but mm-hmm. like, Mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tending to move my tongue this way or, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, mm-hmm. it has more advocacy in it and less kind of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, even just like, just remembering like no one moves this tongue, but you, <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> right. mean it's your conscious mind in the way that you want it to be or that you mm-hmm. have control, but your tongue does not have a mind of its own. Like, right. It right. simply does not. So right. if it feels that way, like that's a problem to solve, but that can't be the end. I mean, if your premise, if your premise is that your tongue has a mind of its own, this is an insurmountable problem. Right. You know? Right. right. Um, but yeah, I really believe in those things as well. Like being very mindful about how we're framing things, what words we're putting on things. And um, yeah, thinking with kind of more of an abundance beginning default then like let's get rid of these tensions and right. more just like let's right. claim let's claim these beautiful things that we that we want right that's awesome because it's you know in thinking in energetic terms i mean in energy work is all about releasing the resistance to what could be yeah 
you know, to the things you want. And singing, it's the same thing. Right. And, and, you know, rechanneling, redefining the spaces that we use, the resonances we use, how the breath moves through the body, right. you know, just all of those things are sensations and, and bringing awareness to different sensations and how many of the changes, particularly once a singer has been studying for a while, many of the changes come just from those points of realization. And many of them are small. Many yeah. of them are not... Or maybe they're moving their jaw when they just need to, like I was working with a student yesterday and actually as a, as a trans student um, online and, uh, and he was trying to make the complete adjustment with his jaw and all he needed was a little tweak of a lift. Yeah, just to a open little up his throat. extra palate space yeah, or just pharynx to space. Just to open up his throat yeah. and the breath just soared right through wow. it and it was just not an issue anymore. Right. And, uh, and we look for the solutions usually as just being these jaw-dropping moments. Of, and we love when those things happen because yeah. they happen too. But more often than not, it's just... It's not Phantom of the Opera. It's, no, yeah. it's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not a huge thing. Yeah. And, and I've always thought of it, it's just a paradigm for life, singing is. It's just, yeah. it's just another way of channeling energy. That's, I was thinking about this when you were talking earlier about that your goal is to help the student kind of like be open and like have this kind of truth rather than any particular sound. And I think, I think this is why, like, you know, not all of our students are going to be professional singers, but all of our students are going to keep being people. Mm -hmm. And if they have this, if we've helped them tap into this skill of telling the truth and, you know, maybe thinking a little bit more expansively about like, well, what are these options? Like, does it need to be this binary or does it need to be, right. um, that's, that's such productive work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they can go, they can apply that same kind of, you know, mindset to mm -hmm. whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, certainly other aspects of discipline beyond singing are the same, yeah. but singing is kind of special. It's, yes, a, it's especially for sure. embodied. For sure. Yeah. And there's that, you know, in my experience, some of the biggest rewards just come from those times where you see you see that shift in their eyes. Yeah. Like I had this um, once he graduated uh, last year, it was last year. He graduated and I had had him from the time he was a freshman wow. for four years. Yeah. I'd seen him in my studio every yeah. week. And I just love this young man. And um, but he really expected a lot from himself. He was not a music major. He was, you know, he's gonna be a dentist, he's going cool. to dental school, but he sang in choirs and he, you know, and he loved to sing. And but he, there was this uh, thing that he wanted to be able to accomplish with her, with his voice where I think deep down he knew, but there were those, the, the moments for me that were just the most satisfying was when he let himself do it. He would just get this big smile on his yeah. face and we just knew yeah. that he'd accomplished what he had wanted to accomplish yeah. that. And, and for him, a big part of it was because he worked very hard, but a big part of it was just being courageous and vulnerable because he's a very vulnerable young man. So there's a lot of fear yeah. there and he felt safe with me, but yeah. it had more to do with just his own permission, permission yeah. and feeling of expression. Wow. But when those, those things come out and they persevere despite the difficulties, I, I had um, another student who graduated a couple of years ago 
who, um, she's a really interesting young woman and very much of a kind of perfectionist uh, mindset. And she would get frustrated, easily frustrated, and just emotional sometimes. Yeah. And that would just cause her to retreat. Now, yeah. sometimes that happens, but with her, it was happening a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought, this uh, maybe I'm giving her too much allowance. Yeah. Okay. To just collapse sure. into it rather than moving on. And uh, I have this really vivid memory of her one day um, getting to that place where I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> she was just on the verge, and I looked right down. at her, and I just said, I took my finger at her. I said, No. Yeah. We're not going there. We're not there. doing that today. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and she was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and yeah. then, um, and then, and then she was able to, then she was able to do it. And I mean, there, again, there are times when that's going to happen. And, yeah. it, you know, I'm, I mean, I cry with my students if they're having a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I just can't, I just can't not, you know, yeah. if they're really struggling. Um, yeah. But we come to a, a point of solution, you know, together with that. And, you know, just sometimes it just says, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps today. Yeah. And just, you know, even having that, I mean, just the, the intuition or just the sense of even the energy in the room sometimes yeah. to say, that's what we need. That's, that's just what we need to do today. That's how we need to, that's yeah. how we need to work today. Totally. And, um, I have this other young man who I'm working with right now that, um, he's going to be a senior next year and I have uh, been working with him this whole time. And he's a really interesting fellow, works super, super hard. And he was a music ed major and, um, but just didn't have the, the inclination to work with youngsters. Okay. So it was not really a good fit for him, but they kept, because he was a good student, they kept kind of moving him through and pushing him through. And he got to his final barrier and they told him no. Whoa. And which actually was an interesting thing um, because he was relieved. Yeah. But just wishing they would have done, yeah, done it sooner, sooner because yeah. we all kind of knew and we're just yeah. kind of waiting for that to happen. But he um, physically would would work just really hard, would just carry a lot of, would yeah, just body, would just bracing yourself, up, tension, bracing yeah. himself. And we tried something kind of interesting that I'd never really done um, with a student before because I'd worked with him a lot on relaxation and breathing and different things. But when it got back to the singing, it was only really a temporary fix and his body would get rigid again. Yeah. But um, with him discarding this extra burden that he had, we were in a lesson one day and I said, okay, let's just use our imaginations. I said, I'd like you to just sing with your eyes closed. Yeah. And his whole body just... Yeah. His yeah. whole body just relaxed. and he, And he's not one to show a lot of emotion but um when we were finished with when we were finished with the passage or whatever it was we were doing he opened his eyes and he didn't have the words to say you know yeah. what he was experiencing but we both felt that there it is yeah uh it's so inspiring and just these kind of like beautiful small moments of intuition and um 
yeah, creativity, like where can, what can we do? Where can we meet this person? And sometimes it's something physical. I mean, I remember this is not, um, groundbreaking or anything, but it it was for me, you had me seeing something like upside down. And Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling Mm -hmm. like it just felt so easy. And that really cracked something open in my brain of like, Oh, just reorienting my body to gravity can have this like huge effect, you know, and we never know like what these, you know, I guess we do sometimes Mm -hmm. know, but, Mm -hmm. but I mean, maybe as a student or as this particular student teacher pair, we never, Mm -hmm. we never quite know what are going to be the, those just little things that kind of help us crack something open. Or there are that are just the, the right words at the right time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just talk about creativity it's just like every day yeah every day going brand into it new problems yeah. and brand new people and yeah yeah totally I feel it so much well this has been a beautiful conversation I have two questions I ask everybody at the end but before yeah. I ask those is there anything else that you wanted to say um I can't think of anything okay. at the moment great. but I was just like to great. give people like just a little window in yeah. case um okay so my last my last two questions are um on this day do you have a dream collaboration or who would you love to do a project with or, and the who could also wow. be a, a where or a piece, you know, it could be. Wow. I, um, that is really an interest. I have to give that some thought because I haven't let my brain go to that yeah. space because I've just been, what, I've, what, um, I'm at this phase of life as I, as I look to retirement and, um, I'm going to be, my plan is to move to St. George. Actually, okay. I've just always felt drawn cool. to St. George is the path I have in front of me is creating this new life Yeah. when I go into it. And, and that's an, that's all an element of that. Like yeah. music cannot not be a part of it. Right. My, my bigger focus has been, what do I want to create Yeah. with, with this life I have in front of me? Um, so, you know, in terms of collaboration, I mean, it definitely will involve the people that I'm around. It's a collaboration with St. George. Yeah. Yeah. With St. George, with, with the communities of the people that I'll encounter. Um, cool. So that's, I love it. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking to that. (laughs) What, what do I want to create? What do I want my new life to look like? That's awesome. That's really exciting. And then finally, where can people find your work? Or find or find you if they want to know more about you or see you oh, singing gosh. or um, <laughs> that's a good question too. I've kind of put myself off. They, I mean, probably Facebook is the best place okay. to um, contact me. Um, if they search on YouTube, will they find your singing or teaching? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Follow, yeah. You, if you want to know more from Anna, you can follow her on Facebook. Yeah. Follow me on Facebook or, um, yeah, feel free to, feel free to message me. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew my career outside of social media because social media was not, it was brand new. It was yeah. brand new. And I mean, I even went, my whole college experience was without the internet. Yeah. So, yeah. um, and I, I really honestly admire what it takes to begin creating now yeah. a, a career because you have to employ those elements. Yeah. You just have to. And um, I've 
been a bit more withdrawn. Yeah. I mean, in, I in think terms it's of great. those kinds yeah. of things. So uh, if someone was dying to follow up with you on something. So yeah, um, please. Place. Yeah, please feel okay. free. It's just um, Anna Moy, M-O-O-Y on Facebook or my email is Anna.Moy at gmail.com. Great. Anna, thank you so much. What so, a joy. Yeah. Thank you. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.